Hello. Whoa. Hi, everybody. Um, it's Saturday night in Columbus, Mississippi. I love it. You're going to go to church on Saturday night. I like it. Um, I have noticed, though, the closer we get to the fish, the more people come. How's that working out? I don't blame you. And, and I promise you, I am, I am committed to getting us out of here at 6 p.m. And central time, <laughs> okay? If you see my clock, can you see my clock? Okay, it's got every time zone in the world on it. Can you see that? Okay, so, but you don't have a clock in the room. I bet your preachers preach a long time. Amen. With no clock, <laughs> with no clocks in the room, I don't know how you ever get them out. Well, I got lots of clocks, but I'm going to go by the one that says Dallas, which is your ti- our time zone here. Yep, okay. And it's now five, 12 minutes after 5. Sound good? Sound right to you? And so we're going to get, I'm going to stop talking at 5 minutes until 6. Then it's up to you, Russ. Okay, you got to sing that hymn fast, that closing hymn, and that prayer's got to be real sh- sh- short. That's right. You got it? That way you can start eating at 6 p.m. Um, I want to read to you from the Bible, but you know, your pew Bibles, how many of you have noticed that publishers are making the print fuzzier and fuzzier and smaller and smaller? Has anybody ever noticed that? Am I the only one that notices that? I don't know why they don't make them sharper on the edges there and things like, and a little bit bigger, but they keep making them smaller and fuzzier. But I think I can actually read from this Bible if I'm real careful, if I get just the right spot on my glasses, okay? And we'll try to do that. And we're going to read from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians and chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to read just a few verses here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Hear now the word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we turn to you now asking you please to send Holy Spirit to us. Many of us have had a long day. It's cold here. We're distracted and we have fish on our minds. And we ask you, please, Holy Spirit, to come and teach us. May you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to be turned on and to be invigorated by you and your word. And we will give you the praise for it as you do that. Amen. I think everybody in here who's either young and has dealt with an old person or an old person who's dealing with young people will understand what I'm about to say. Sometimes young people, people, let's say older teenagers, that kind of thing, they can be kind of naive about life. Did I hear an amen? Yes, okay. I got an amen from the old crowd. Now, young, younger ones, you got to give me an amen too. Um, sometimes the old people are just old mean cynics. 
Yeah, there you go. You got that? There you go. All right. Well, so I had this friend that one time told me a story about his grandson. His grandson was about to go off to college, and his parents didn't have much money. And so he went to his grandfather to ask his grandfather if he could give him some money to pay for his college tuition. So he said, sure, come on over to the house. Let's talk about it. So they sat down. This is the grandfather telling me the story. And uh, his 18-year-old, 17-year-old grandson sat down, and he said, well, boy, tell me what your plan is. He said, well, Granddad, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the world. And if you'll just give me some money and send me to college, I'll change the world. It'll be amazing. And his grandfather sat back in his rocking chair and he said, well, I'll tell you what. You come back to me when you get a real plan. Got the picture here? This 18-year-old, so naive, so energetic, so enthusiastic, he thinks he's going to change the world if he can just get into college somewhere. And his grandfather has been beat up by life, and he's so tired and so miserable and so disappointed in what's happened in his life, he can't believe his grandson has any idea of what the future holds or how to accomplish it. And so he says, you know, when you come up with a real plan, come on back and I might give you some money to help you out a little bit. Well, I wish that we could all just get to the point where we could come, sort of have a combination of that 18-year-old enthusiasm and that 70-year-old realism. How's that? You with me on this? Wouldn't you like to have that? Uh, those of you who are like me near the age of 70, wouldn't you like to have the enthusiasm of an 18-year-old? Wouldn't you like to be able to shoot basketballs like you do when you're 18 years old? Wouldn't you like to walk and run like you did when you're 18 years old? Wouldn't that be nice? And look at the future and go, man, I got the whole world ahead of me. That'd be great. And I know this is not going to be true, but you can act like you believe this. If you're younger, like in your 20s or in your teens, wouldn't you like to have the wisdom of a 70-year-old? No, you're going, no, they're not wise. But one day you'll realize they are. Let me tell you, you wish, you will wish one day that at 18 years old, you had the wisdom of a 70-year-old in an 18-year-old body. It would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Yeah, it, would really, it really would be. Be perfect. But I think it's one of the great effects of sin in the world that youth is wasted on the young and wisdom is wasted on the old. How about that? Uh, that's one of the effects of sin in our world. Okay, so maybe it's possible, at least at certain moments in life, to kind of get that 70-year-old wisdom and practicality and sort of step-by-step, step, I know how to get things done, and the enthusiasm of an 18-year-old bottled up in the same person. Well, that's what we've got in this passage right here. And it has to do with what this weekend is about, and that is the mission of the church. And you'll hear me say it, as you hear everybody say it, every time you have in a missionary weekend or a missions weekend, that Christians have been put on mission, and the mission is to make disciples of Jesus everywhere in the world. That's our mission, to make disciples of Jesus everywhere in the world. Well, you know, if you hold on to that mission at all, you, it, it's, it takes a huge amount of enthusiasm, it takes a huge amount of big vision. We can do it. We can do it. And it also takes some practicality. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He is acting like an 18-year-old in some of these verses. And in other verses, he's acting like a 70-year-old. There you go. Okay? So let's start off with the 18-year-old. 
What is this mission? What's it going to look like? What's it supposed to look like? What's possible? Now that Jesus has come to this earth 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross and he resurrected from the dead and he ascended into heaven and now rules over everything, what's this mission going to be like? Well, listen to what the apostle says. Let's remember what some of these early verses said. He said, um, he said in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Wow, now that sounds like an 18-year-old to me. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And so what's been the result of that? We're on a track. We're on a track where God is going to be of all, over all, through all, in all. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. You wouldn't believe how good this is going to be, the apostle is saying. It's unbelievable, really. Because here is the apostle of our Jesus who's been recipient of this mission that Jesus has given. And it's not a mission like we normally think of missionary efforts. Normally what way we think of missionary efforts is, well, you know, I'll spend 50 years on the field and I'll have one or two converts and then I'll go home. That's not the picture there, is it? No, the picture is that you're going to have a church, the body of Jesus, all over the world, and it will have one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. Hallelujah. What a contrast. Now that was a huge vision for a man to have back in the first century of Christianity. A huge vision. And I think in many respects, People must have wondered this even about Jesus, but certainly they would have wondered this about the Apostle Paul. Look, there are hardly any Christians in the world at all. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? This is our mission? That kind of big vision that you have there, the Apostle says? Yes, it's true. That's exactly why Jesus came. I think that we live in a day when Christians have a very, very strong sense that Christianity is not doing very well. How many of you believe that Christianity is just thriving in the United States of America? Does anybody believe that? How many of you would be inclined to say, well, Christianity really is kind of shrinking in the United States of America? Would you raise your hand, please? Yeah, good. How many of you would say that the Christian church has one faith? Okay, how many of you would say that we agree on what the Lord is like? How many of you would say we agree on, at least we agree on baptism? <laughs> and you know we don't because we're the minority opinion, right? Those crazy Presbyterians dedicating their babies and accidentally putting water on them. Hey, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. One God and Father of all, over all, through all. I mean, that's like, that does not sound like the kind of Christianity I see with my eyes. Does it sound like the kind of Christianity you see with your eyes? And so, as you think about what's going on here, you've got to remember something. And that's what the world mission is all about that we've been put on, and that is this, that Jesus did not come to this earth to do a tiny little thing to the earth. 
He came to this earth, and you'll hear me say this many times this weekend, to change the whole world. As the apostle says later in this passage, and we'll see in just a few moments, he says this church of Jesus is to grow up into the fullness of the full measure of Christ himself, which he says earlier in this book means Jesus who fills everything. And that's how big the church of Jesus is to become. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to go at this in different ways in different sermons and different talks this weekend, but I just want to say this much to you right now. I know it's not going well here. And I, by that, I don't just mean Columbus, but I include Columbus. The, the Church of Jesus doesn't do so well here. The gospel doesn't go forth with great power here. And it doesn't in Mississippi, and it doesn't in the United States. And as we'll see in Sunday school, in fact, the Church of Jesus is growing the least in North America compared to anywhere in the world. And it's been that way for a long time now. And so it's sort of natural for us to think, well, what's happening in my backyard is what's happening everywhere, isn't it? The way the church is here must be the way it is everywhere. And if it's not good here, it can't be good out there. If it's not hopeful here, then we know it can't be hopeful in a place like Africa or a place like Asia or a place like Latin America. I mean, it must really be bad over there. You hear what I'm saying? And so what that does to us when it comes to having a weekend like this, I suspect that um, this is what it does to us. If we hadn't had fish tonight, half of you would have stayed home. What do I mean by that? We just don't have a lot of sort of natural enthusiasm for this thing called the mission of the church. Now, I know this church has a long history of participating and supporting missionaries. It's a wonderful thing. But there's only a handful of people in this church, and I probably know all your names, who are really excited about the mission of Jesus. But can you hear that that's the way the Apostle Paul is talking right here? This is a grand and glorious vision that he has. But now Paul puts on his old man hat. And he gets down to how this is going to happen. And I want you to notice a couple of things here as we uh, stick to the schedule. Okay, <laughs> let's get down to verse 10 because verses um, 8 and 9 uh, they're kind of hard to understand, so we'll just skip the hard part, okay? Is that all right with everybody? In fact, we're going to skip verse 10 and go down to verse 11. It's all about Jesus going to heaven. Look, I'll tell you what it says in 8 to, 8 to, 8 to 10. It's like this. He says, look, the reason the church is going to get so big out here, the reason the church is going to grow all over the world, I mean, it's going to be phenomenal. One faith, one Lord, one baptism everywhere is because Jesus died and he went down, but he also rose and went up. You see, that's the reason why we can be sure of this, because Jesus is a step or two ahead of us in this thing called the resurrection into the new world of new life. Because Jesus died, but then he resurrected with a glorified body and he ascended up to heaven where he sits and now controls everything. Jesus of Nazareth controls everything. 
But as Jesus was ascending as a great victorious king over sin and death and trouble and trial in this world, as he was ascending to this position where he would have all authority in heaven and earth and make the plan of God happen of this worldwide church of Jesus, he did something that would have been unusual for kings to have done. Imagine it this way. If you were a Roman king and you'd gone out and you defeated your enemies and you come back in, you've got a lot of plunder and you have this big parade. And of course, you've got gold and you have silver, you have precious stones. And what you do is you march through the city, but you march through the city. And everybody goes, everyone on the sidelines goes, wow, look at all the plunder that they got. But then they take the plunder and they take it on up to the palace and the king gets all the, all the plunder. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's given to the king. Well, Jesus took plunder too. A lot of plunder when he ascended into heaven, which is what the Apostle Paul says in the verses we're not reading right now. But as he went up to heaven, he took some of the things he had captured from the enemy, which is Satan and his evil kingdom that ruled over the world. And as he went up to heaven, instead of taking it all with him, he gave gifts to people back on the earth. Well, what were those gifts? Look at verse 11. It's going to sound strange, but here you go. Not silver and gold, but listen to what he said. Jesus sort of gave to the world as he went up to heaven. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers. In other words... Jesus had captured all these people. He had captured you, if you're a follower of him, 2,000 years ago. He had captured you. And he could have taken you straight up into the glory of heaven, and it would have been fantastic. But instead of doing that, what he did was he, as it were, left some people on the earth. And who were those people in this case? He says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And he goes on to say then that those people that he gave back to the church, gave back to the world, he says the purpose they had, verse 12, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, now watch out, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How big is that? So these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers were given back so that the body of Christ could grow up to the fullness of the measure of Christ himself who fills all in all. That is why God gave those people. And you know what these people are, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're leaders. They're leaders of the church. What kind of leaders are they? Well, let's think for just a moment. Let's be sensible about this for a minute. If you were going to be Jesus and you were going to build a worldwide kingdom, what kind of leaders would you have over your kingdom? Can anybody say maybe a general or two? Would that be fair enough? If you were going to build a kingdom and it was going to spread all over this world, would you have maybe an economist or two in the ranks of the leadership? Say, can you say yes to that? Uh-huh. Would you have some people maybe that were powerful and strong, had lots of money and things like that? Because we know it can't do anything without money. Yes. 
You know, you can't do anything without those kinds of people leading us. That's why our government is this way. It's why every government in the world is this way. It's because if you want a kingdom and you want it to be big, those are the kinds of leaders you want. But not our King Jesus. The kinds of leaders he designated for his church that was to spread all over the world. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, the fullness of the measure of Christ. Do you get the picture here? The leaders he ordained were the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, what skills did they have? What potentiality did they have to lead the church? Uh, what was in their back pocket that they could pull out and say, well, we can lead the church with this? One thing and one thing only. It's common among all those people we just listed. The apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers are the instruments of the word of God to the world. That's all they got. The word of God. They proclaim the truth of God. And by that means, the apostle says, this church is going to grow up all over the world. Now, the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. We learn in Ephesians chapter 2, they're the foundation. Jesus Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. The apostles and the prophets of Jesus, they were the foundation of the church. But laid on top of them are what kinds of people? Who are they again? Evangelists. People who reach out to the lost and take the good news to the lost. We don't have enough of those in our denomination. We don't have even close to enough of those in our denomination. You don't have enough of those in your local church right here. Mississippi does not have enough of those. People whose lives are devoted to proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those who do not follow him. We don't have them. It's one of the reasons why our denomination is shrinking. I'll say that again. We don't have them. And it's one of the reasons why our denomination is shrinking. And until we wake up and realize that evangelists are just as important, in fact, perhaps even more important, than the pastors and the teachers. Remember the order? What's the order? Apostles, prophets. He's going down the list. It's a hierarchy here. Apostles, prophets. What's next? Say it, please. This is Saturday night. I know I'm not going to ask you to say anything tomorrow. I promise. <laughs> what is next? Evangelists. How many evangelists do you know in our denomination? Can you name them? Well, there are people like Frank Barker. That's who. There are people like D. James Kennedy. That's who. There were people like Randy Pope in Atlanta. Do you follow what I'm saying to you? And what has happened because of their great evangelistic ministries? Lots of people came to Jesus. Unbelievable numbers of people have come to Jesus. But you can name those people in our denomination on two hands. Too much truth for a Saturday night? And one of the reasons for that is because we really don't value people who are evangelists. But, of course, we like pastors, so that's next in line, right? The ones that take care of the sheep, yes? So we like that. We like being taken care of. And, of course, as a former seminary teacher, I believe that the bottom at the list is actually at the top of the list, far above apostles and prophets. 
and those are the teachers of the church. Of course not. They're at the bottom for a reason. If you don't evangelize, you don't have anybody to care for, pastors. And if you don't care for them, you don't even need any teachers. So it's time for us to wake up that this church will not grow simply by having people that teach us doctrine and teach us and pastor us. This church will grow, our denomination will grow, the body of Christ will grow as we have more and more evangelists who then bring people in who are cared for by the pastors and those people who are then taught by the teachers of the church. That'll be a great day when we get the order straightened out. But here's the key to it all. The word of God and sound Christian teaching is what will build up the body of Christ to its one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. That is how it's going to happen because that's the way our great Emperor Jesus is going to spread his church throughout the entire world. Are you committed to that? Okay, I am. You'll hear tomorrow morning in Sunday school, this is the reason why Third Mill exists. It's also why African Bible College exists. I know that. It was the Chin Chin's commitment to the thing that Africa needs more than anything else is the Word of God. This church needs to stand up and be a church that's known in this community. If you're not known for anything else, just be known as a church where they do their very best to proclaim the word of God faithfully and follow it. Just keep that reputation, would you? You may not be the most exciting church in town. Okay? It may not be the happiest church in town. Okay? It may not be the friendliest church in town. Although you're very friendly, in my opinion, and you're relatively happy. <laughs> But please keep the reputation. We're doing everything we can do here to proclaim and follow the word of God because that's the key for building up the body of Christ. But immediately something ought to come to mind. It's what, it's what everybody else says about us, okay? <sighs> when people believe things in the Bible, when people have doctrines that they believe, they follow certain Christian teachings, let me ask you this question. When, a church is, when churches emphasize these kinds of things, does it usually bring about a body of Christ that's unified and growing and just adding on top, on top, on top, on top? Is, is that what normally happens? No, that's not what normally happens. Usually, the more churches emphasize the word of God, the more they divide from each other. You know, we have a hard time in our denomination of planting new churches until you get a congregation and they start arguing about some difference among them and then they'll split and we get, wow, we got two churches, two out of one. That's great. <laughs> and Presbyteries, that's the governing bodies of a region of our church, they love it when those two groups can finally say, okay, we won't hate each other. Then they can say, church plant, we got one. Hallelujah. Am I telling the truth or am I lying? Yeah, okay. <sighs> the fact is, is that in reality, usually teaching the Bible and emphasizing certain doctrines divides Christians rather than bringing them together. 
But did you hear what the apostle said at the very beginning of this chapter? Remember what he said? Walk in a manner that's worthy of this great high calling you have. High calling to what? To this worldwide kingdom. This worldwide church. And be unified with each other. Be of one spirit. Maintain this, he says. Be diligent to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. Because we are on track to be one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We are on track to have one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. And then he tells us that this is going to happen through the instruments of these leaders of the church who are going to proclaim the word of God. And we say, yeah, but when you do that, Christians divide and hate each other. And so, being the wise man that the apostle was, he also shows his practicality and his wisdom. <laughs> Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Isn't that true of the body of Christ these days? That that's the way we are, carried about by this doctrine, by that doctrine, this scheme, deceitful this, deceitful that. Well, he says, if the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers are emphasized in the body of Christ, that's not the way it will be. Instead, something else happens. Look at verse 15. I love this verse. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He says... Here's the deal. You don't stop teaching the truth, but you're very sure to wrap what you say about the truth up in love. Now, men, most of you don't have a clue what that means, but I can tell you that the sisters here do. Okay, I want to ask the men now, how many of you have ever been to an all-women's baby shower? Like you're the only man in the room. Was it your wife? Yeah, okay. It's like, it's like you have to be there. A lot of estrogen in the room. And, you know, you're kind of going, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with this situation here. But you're there. You sit in the back, right? Okay. Well, for those men who have never been to a baby shower, let me tell you what happens. It's a little bit of a stereotype, but it's right here in Columbus. <laughs> okay. It's not, it probably hadn't changed that much in Columbus. Just tell me if it has. Here's what happens. There's this table, and it's piled up with gifts from all the women who have brought gifts for the baby and for the mama, okay? And they're nicely decorated. They've got nice fancy bows on them, and each of them has a card. If you don't have a card on your gift at the baby shower, it's not going to go very well, okay? Let me just tell you that. If you haven't wrapped your gift for that baby shower, it's not going to go very well. So here's what happens, men, if you've never been to one of these things. The, the mother-to-be is handed a gift. And the first thing she has to say is, this is so beautiful. 
What color exactly is this? I have never seen this color before. It's unbelievable how nice this is. Look at this bow. Yes, and everyone goes, yes, it's lovely, it's lovely. And then she opens the card and she reads it, and they, she, hands, she shows everybody the front of the card, and then it's passed around the room. Yes, she with me on this? And then she very carefully slips her finger underneath the scotch tape that's holding it together, being sure not to tear the paper. It'll never be used again, but you've got to be sure not to tear the paper. Undoing the bow very carefully, and then she opens the box, and she pulls out the 15th bib that she gets for her wedding shower, and she says, this is really nice, thank you very much, but I, <laughs> look how beautiful this is. What shade of yellow is this? What shade of green is this? What shade of red is this? I've never seen such a thing before. Now, ladies, let me give you a clue about the men. They couldn't care less what the package looks like. So this Christmas or Father's Day or birthday, just leave it in the Amazon box. Okay, don't even open it. Because all they care about is, is there, what's, what kind of drills inside of there? Or what kind of hammer or what kind of gun is in there? If it's long as a gun, I know it's a gun. But they could not care less about the box. So just use the brown box. Don't bother wrapping it. They don't care. But men, let me tell you something. Wrap the gift that you give to your wife. If you don't wrap the gift, you're making a huge mistake because the card, the gift, and the bow say something. What do they say, sisters? What do those things say? I love you. Did you hear that? So get it wrapped. If you can't do it, get, in fact, you should probably give up on trying it yourself. Just go get it wrapped, okay? They'll love it. And they'll think that you love them too. Well, that's what the apostle's saying here. He's saying that when you speak the truth, you have to wrap it in love if you hope that the truth will build up the body of Christ. If you hope that the ministry of the word of God through apostles and prophets in the New Testament and then evangelists and pastors and teachers will actually spread the word, the kingdom of God around the world, you got to wrap the truth in love. And you know what that looks like. Love is patient. You hear it every wedding, don't you? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boasting. Love does not look after one's own good, but the other person's good. Yes? 1 Corinthians 13, you know what he meant when he said, wrap the truth in love. So I just said earlier, I hope this church is known as a church that proclaims and seeks to obey the word of God. That should be your reputation. Be good Presbyterians, okay? It's a good thing to be. I'm a Presbyterian by choice, and that makes me a real one, okay? But now let me, because all good Presbyterians were once Baptists, we know that, okay, okay. But let me also say this, you've got to also have the reputation that this church wraps its commitment to the truth with love. It's so easy in our day to hate the people around us who are against us and who are resisting the kingdom of God. It's so easy these days in the busyness of life, especially in the things that we've been going through recently, to just sort of ignore people. 
sort of be transactional in your relationships with them. It's so easy not to bother with the package in which, with which you wrap the truth of the Christian faith. But this is the key, because unless you wrap the truth in love, the kingdom of God will not grow through you. So there you have it. The Apostle Paul, as an 18-year-old with this big, big vision of what the church is going to be all over the world, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. It's going to be fantastic. And then he says how it's going to happen. It's going to happen because Jesus gave gifts from all the plunder that he had as he went up to heaven. He gave gifts the ministry of the word of God through the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. And then he, he makes it very clear how the work of that word of God through those leaders is going to have this big impact of making the church grow. He says, when we learn how to speak the truth in love. And that's the wisdom of the grandfather who is sitting in that chair and say, it's one thing to have a big dream, it's another thing to have a real plan. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we delight in you, and we love you, and we cherish you. We thank you so much that you yourself have spoken the truth of God to us. And we know from our daily experiences, those of us who follow you, we know that day by day, you wrap the truth of the word in love toward us. We pray that we will learn from this and that we will hear from what the apostle says here in this part of the book of Ephesians and that we will be people who know how to package the truth so that the world knows that you love and that you cherish, and so that your kingdom, this mission, this worldwide mission, will succeed. Amen.